Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. All right, so I'm going to start off reading 2 Timothy 1. So just to give you a little bit of context, in this scripture, Paul is actually in jail, and Paul is writing to Timothy. Um, He's locked up, doing a bid, as we say, and um, Timothy is like his... That's his, his son, like, you know what I'm saying, his mentee, so to speak. That's his, his heart. He cares for him dearly, and we'll hear him express that in the text. But um, we're going to find some really beautiful stuff in this text as we work through it um, that I think is going to be really good for us. For us. And um, let's just jump into it. So 2 Timothy 1, I'm going to start at verse 3, actually. Um, it says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers tonight, hey, in the sound back there, can y'all check? I think I got a little bit of sound coming through the monitors, a little bit of music. Um, it says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so we're going to break this down and kind of work through it, right? So Paul's talking to Timothy, and one of the things that caught me that he says here, he says, um, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And then he kind of talks about his family members, and he kind of, he's like, yo, you come from a lineage, lineage of people with this faith, and I can tell that you've got this thing on you too. But then when he gets to verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. And just to kind of peep at the next verse scripture, even though I'm getting ahead of myself, it says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, right? So there is this thing that's happening in the text right here where, He's saying, he says, because we have faith, it doesn't mean we understand that um, what to have faith for as it pertains to our calling and our Christian responsibility. So, he, so he's giving them props. Man, I see this faith on you. But you, let me remind you to fan in the flame the Holy Spirit, right? Because there's more to just, like, I'll tell you, like, I think the Church of Scientology has mad faith, Right? You know what I'm saying? I've been watching a little special. I forgot the actor or whatever who's going at them or whatever. You know, to think that there's like aliens and I don't know, whatever. But they, there's some stuff they believe that I'm like, yo, you got to have faith. And they seem very, very devoted. But just because you have faith doesn't mean you have faith in the right thing. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? So it's not just a badge of honor. Like, you know, people, and, and, and this has become kind of our norm for the American church where it's like, yo, I have faith. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. But people can't unpack what that actually believes. What do you have faith for, and is it in line with God? Because we might be playing on the wrong team, or we actually might be pushing against his will. You get where I'm coming from? So when he's talking to him, he's saying, like, yo, there's a little bit of diligence you got to do on the other end. You need to be working, you know, you need to be stirring up the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Because that's what's going to bring you in the truth. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more, but, like, if there's anything... I want you to hold on to as we work into this. It's that there's a there's a responsibility, right? When you say that you're a Christian, like I'll tell you, for instance, it's like with my kids or whatever. 
if they say something crazy, I don't even mean to do it. But sometimes I'm like, yo, you're a Harris, man. And they're like, all right, well, cool, I know that, you know. But like, you know, when we say stuff like that, what we mean is, yo, we got certain values, certain things we don't do. We don't, we don't treat our sisters like that. That's, we don't treat, you don't treat your brother like that. As a family, we're making it our declaration that we don't move like that. That's not how we're going to do. All right, that comes with our identity. As, like, I, I try to shape them to kind of know that. This is the stance we're taking. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is where we're at, right? So this is what it is. When we become Christians and they go, and somebody's like, yo, you're a Christian, there's something that comes with that, right? There's something that means something. It's not, and, and, and just, it doesn't mean, hey, I'm a faith, I have faith that I'm a Christian. There's way more to it. And he's kind of taking them through that. I just want you to understand the context and, the, and the, the grind, so to speak, in this conversation, right? So verse 6, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And then why? He answers it, answers it in 7. He says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So basically, if you make the connection, when he's saying um, fan in the flame, right? He's connecting it to this idea of it's a way to overcome fear, right? Because he's saying that our position, our stance, who we are, like when I say, hey, you're a Harris, but I'm saying to y'all, hey, you're Christians. What he's saying is the spirit that God has given to us is a spirit of power and love and self-control, right? It doesn't mean you that you're walking around winning in this all the time. It means that you've accepted the responsibility of what you battle with. I think I talked about this the other week. Like, just because something gets hard, we don't jump ship to another ship, right? We stay within that boxing ring. This is my responsibility. I'm supposed to knock out whoever comes in this room. Or whatever, whoever comes in this ring. But you, 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 sometimes you're fighting yourself. But nevertheless, as a Christian, we still have this thing we're called to, what it looks like. And so we're always striving within it. But he's going to start, he's going to point us to how do we strive in it? How do we fan, the fl fan into flame, right? He said, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In verse 8, he says this. Therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So let's put it together, all right? For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us, matter of fact, I'm going to read it and I'm going to take out which is in you through the laying on of hands. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and, and love and self-control, right? So y'all with me so far? So we're fanning in the flame because there's this thing called fear that's trying to take us out the game, right? And that's not what, that's, that's the, God has given us a, a spirit that that's not what it is. So when we're in our flesh, we're defeated. Enemies on us, fear, we're hiding. When we're walking in the spirit, Power, love, self-control. I want to make this stuff really simple because there's a lot of words in this text. And, um, and in verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. All right? 
So I want you to think about this real quick. Or be honest with yourself really fast. Do you have any situations with like people you know that you know you need to drop the bomb on them and share the gospel with them? Like just pe- like 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 just any kind of things that are even maybe even shameful. I'm gonna be honest with you. I got a hall of fame. I got people, and I'm not joking about it. I got I got people where it grieves my heart where I was just like I'm in their face and I'm like, and I didn't do it. And it still messes with me till this day. You get where I'm coming from? Where I'm just like, Dag, Jay, who do you esteem? God or you esteem man? Who are you really afraid of? Right? That's what he's getting at. That's what this conversation is about. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Because there will be shame for declaring the gospel and there will be shame for the result of that declaration as it pertains to the world. So there's this idea in this statement right here where you have to count the cost, right? Because just think about it. You can use me as an example. Me sitting with a friend, them hurting, opportunity right there to kind of just jump the line like, Jake, drop the gospel on them. This is the moment. What do you think would keep me from saying something? Like, you can scream it, just say it. What do, you, what, what do you think at that moment? I hold the gospel. I know it. I've been saved by it, right? I know, it's, I know it to be true. But I'm in a situation where now I won't let somebody that I know is lost get it. What do you think is the problem? Fear. Fear. Unpack that a little bit. What else? What do you think is in it? Pride, Pride most definitely. It, huh? Yeah, doubt. What else? Rejection. Rejection. Me. Back to pride again. Me looking crazy or whatever, right? Them thinking I'm a fool for believing this. All of this stuff, right? Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me as prisoner. There's this thing where if you... The same way when I tell my kids, I'm like, yo, you're a Harris. We don't do certain things. There's ridicule they may face for that, right? So I may say, hey, listen, we'll mess with drugs and all that. So now my friends, my, my kids' friends are doing drugs and everything else. I experienced this when I was growing up. Once my friends started doing drugs and everything else or whatever, I just felt like the neighborhood dork because my mom had scared me to death with stuff or whatever. You know what I mean? So I was like... Nah, Jack, I'm not doing that, you know. And I always was making up excuses like, man, my mom had, she had, we about to go to the dentist or whatever, my tooth, that joint, we got to go. So whatever I had to do to get out of it. You know, but, you know, I'm just trying to give you something really relate to, like there's a, there's a cause. There's a cause. Just, just, just for the gospel, just for you knowing it. If it's been given to you, if like God has opened your eyes by his spirit and revealed the gospel, the truth. This is like, this is heavy. Came to save the world, remove our iniquities, right? And you got it. And the world hates it. They hate the truth. So what he's saying here is like, yo, there's a price for this. And you're actually going to need power to actually stand in it. You're not weird if you feel nervous to share the gospel with people. It's not strange. 
It's not strange if you pucked out a couple times. You need the power of God. The place you start fanning in the flame is you start, you go, Lord, I'm scared. I need help. I actually want to be bolder. I want to share your gospel more. I want to be able to tell people and not be ashamed. I don't want to be rude. You know what, God? The reason I'll never want to do it is because I know so many Christians that are rude and they're jerks to people, and I don't want to be like those people. Tell God to hit you with the, the graceful, merciful, you know what I'm saying, technique or whatever. He got it. You get what I'm saying? Like, but, you know, sometimes we have all these things, and we're like, that's why I don't do this. That's why I don't do that. True indeed. We all have it. But God is able. Do you all agree with that? So, like, the first place we start is, Lord, help us. Help us. Like, we look in the mirror and we be honest about where we're at. And we be honest about this fear. And that's why I like the way that Paul is talking to Timothy because he's like, he's not stepping on him. He should let him know, homie, this is normalcy. This is normal. This is what it is, right? You need the power of God to move in this. So he finishes up in 80 and he says this. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. By what? The power of God. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This doesn't work any other way but by the power of God. Um, and for him, it's actually normal. It's normal that um, as a Christian, it goes hand in hand with suffering, Right? I sometimes, I, you know, like we talk about suffering a lot. And I think sometimes when we talk about suffering, we're talking about um, people's mind goes into straight up inflicting, you know, some type of suffering or whatever it is, going into some type of maybe a harder context and everything else. And it may actually be that. But he's keeping this focus right on this idea of the testimony about our Lord, the gospel, the cross. So it makes me ask myself, I'm like, man, do I even wear it? Like, does, this, does my Christianity make people uncomfortable at all? Like, does it, do I wear it in a way where people are like, that they want to shun me? You know what I'm saying? Like, you ever feel like you ever have friends that whatever, everybody's going to party or whatever, you know, they get extra wild and you don't get the phone call? I used to cry through that back in the day. Sometimes now I'd be like, Dad, yo, they ain't even called me, man. See the Lord on the brother, whatever, like. But it hurts. There's a, there's, a, there's a process to it, but sometimes I'm like, man, maybe this is what God is talking about. Maybe they know I don't move and groove all the way that way. Not that I'm better on self-righteous works type stuff, but like whatever they're trying to get into, maybe they know that's not what it's looking like tonight, right? Let me just keep on going, whatever. But so he says, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, right? It's an insult to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us to think we can accomplish the will of God in our own strength. Seeing that the depth of our sins require blood, not just any blood, but the Son of God, the blood of the Son of God. Whatever fantasy we make where we are more than conquerors in our own flesh and outside of the power of the Holy Spirit and fear of God and a self-awareness of our brokenness and need will prove nothing but to be vanity and nothingness. I want to read something to you real quick. Let me show you what that looks like when you think you're walking in your own power and you think you got it under control, right? So in Matthew 26 says this says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. Think about that statement right there. You will all fall away because of me this night. Jesus says, y'all are going to fall away because of me. We think of Christ as our salvation, right? He's our savior. God, I'm kept on because of you. Like, but what's the difference here? What's the rub in this statement that he's making right here? Lord, they're rolling with you. It's with the disciples. But listen to what he says. He says, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Listen to Peter. I love Peter. Listen to Peter. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then Peter says to him, even if, if, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. You understand me, Lord? And the God doesn't even, the Lord doesn't even say anything. He just says, and all the disciples said the same. And I think, I don't know what happened next, but I imagine he just looked at him like, let me go pray, man. I got to go. I got to go. Whatever. He's like, so y'all won't, y'all ain't even going to let me tell y'all. I can't even prophesy to you what's going to happen. And so, but that's us, right? That's what it looks like. At this point, we know the story of Peter. He swore he was on. Swore he was in the game. Right? As soon as they run up on him. I don't know this man. I don't even know him. I, that wasn't me. I was not with him. I, was, I didn't have supper with him. None of that. Though it's like he's straight. I don't know what you're talking about. That quick. All of them dip. As soon as the people come or whatever, they're like, oh, crap, get out in here. It's like, yo, they like down the road, like, yo, where's Jesus at? Be like, I don't know, man. I had seen his robe or whatever, but I just dipped through the woods, man. Like, you want to go back and get him? He Jesus. He'll be all right. He should be. He probably just floated up out or something. We good. We're going to just chill, man. Let's go get some water, and we'll, we'll figure it out later or whatever. Let's go pray for him. You know what I'm saying? They dipped. They dipped. You know, and I'm, I'm making light of it, but I'm afraid when I think about the Christian church, I think that would be a lot of us. I think a lot of us. I think if persecution turned up, we're doing the 100-yard dash ASAP. And when I say this out of my mouth, I don't feel confident in myself. It's scary. It's really, really scary. Because this persecution that happens right now across this world, as we sit in church and don't even have to think a single thing about it, there's people right now being burnt, burnt alive. And that's real. That's honestly real. And so sometimes I'm like, God, what does my faith look like in the middle of that? What does it look like when they come drag you out of your house, right? We'll go crazy if our Netflix turns off. You know what I'm saying? Like... Like, man, I'm watching Narcos right now. Like, it's, we can't, we haven't counted the costs all the way. But for Paul, it's not a surprise at all. That's one of the problems. Like, we're, we're still so surprised about how messed up we are and how broken we are. And it's actually what keeps us from 
communing with the Holy Spirit and resting in the Holy Spirit because we still actually believe we're better than we really are, which gives room for the enemy, which is what we see in that conversation. Lord, even if they got to kill me, yo, I ain't going nowhere. A little too self-confident. We're poor. We're very poor. We're very, very poor in righteousness. Actually, we have absolutely nothing to give, nothing to bring to our table. Nothing moves forward but by the blood of Jesus and by his spirit. That's it. Everything else is rotten, right? So in verse 9, let me say this. The point is, what I was just hitting, is that if you aren't being held by Jesus and by, by the Father, you will run because of him. Like you will run because of him. Um, verse 9 is the sweet spot where Paul starts declaring this beautiful stuff. And so as we keep the conversation in context and Paul is writing to Timothy from prison and he's just told him this, this stuff because Paul is fully aware. It's awesome you got faith, Timothy. It's beautiful. That's been passed down through your family. Make sure you hold on to that thing for dear life. Stir it. Stir up the flame, you know what I'm saying, of the gift of God because it's your power. Don't fall on trusting that, oh, I come from a good family. Don't trust in, hey, I'm a Harris, so I'm good. No, you're not, brother. Hold on to the power of God, right? Hold on. That's the only thing. The spirit of God is the only thing that's going to lead you right into the truth. And so when he gets to nine, he kind of starts letting them know what it is. He's, he, 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 let me just run it through for you. He says, um, but sharing the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. He's, put, he, he's, he's, he's working through responsibility, right? He, said, he says, he saved us, we've been saved and we've been called to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of our own purpose and grace, because of his own purpose and grace, excuse me. And he says, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Paul's not confused at all. Like, the gospel for him goes hand in hand with suffering, right? He's like, he tells them, I've received, we've received this calling, we've been saved, and we've been called. It's a holy calling has nothing to do with our work. So take the pressure off yourself that you have to go do something amazing and awesome, right? You haven't been saved by yourself. We've been called by the Father. It's his work that he's doing. And he's actually going to carry it through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So he, 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 and, and he, and I love the way he does this, whatever, because it's just the juicy part. He always runs people through the gospel. Appearing for of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's making sure you don't forget what this is all about. He's making sure you don't forget that or whatever, right? And then 13, he says this right here. Verse 13 says this. Hold on. Let me read 12 again. He says, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted me, to me. Follow the pattern of the sound. Words that, uh, p- follow the pattern of the sound, words that you have heard from me. 
in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Right? All right. So, Paul, he says, uh, I am convinced that he is able to guard. First, if he makes the declaration, he says, but I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed. Right? So he's modeling to Timothy. Like he's telling him, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me as your prisoner. Because you have to understand the circumstance that they find themselves in. Timothy has people coming to him like, yo, that's your leader? That's the dude you follow? The dude we just saw walking in the chain gang with everybody? We're chained up? So this is where your God has you at. That's what it looks like. Okay, you can keep that God. Do you get where I'm coming from? When, 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 what I want you to digest is that if you actually are saying, God, what do you want me to do? It may not always look like what you want it to look like, right? So a lot of times what we do when we look in the word, we kind of read it, we find what we want to find, and then we take the phrase and we're like, yo, we're more than conquerors. And we go get the tattoo. And we just use it as a self-help kind of deal or whatever. We throw it on a Hallmark card and keep it rolling. But we, didn't, we don't read the rest of the scripture where it says you're more than conquerors as you're actually suffering for the gospel. Right? We, we, we don't, when it says overcomers, what are you overcoming? I think we usually think it means that we're just stomping over anything we want to and taking everything and everything we touch just turns to gold for us. It's not what it's saying. God gives his glory in the midst of trials, in the middle of situations, in the middle of relational fallouts, all of that stuff. But he's saying, I'm giving you the power through the Holy Spirit to walk through this stuff to my glory. This is how, this is how I play out my story because we're in his story, right? And Paul is saying, I'm convinced that he's able to guard until this day what has been entrusted to me. In verse 13, he says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me um, and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This statement right here is so important because, number one, as he's speaking to Timothy and he's talking to him like a father, it's basically like, you know, if you were to... Uh, like, you ever been, like, you know, with my kids, if I'm, like, at the pool or something, and you, you're trying to tell them how to swim or whatever, and they're unteasing everybody, or screaming, like, go, go, baby, do your thing, baby, go, you know, and, like, there's, like, 15 of them doing that. And so you got to kind of focus, like, hey, follow me, stroke, boom, boom. It's like, follow the pattern of the sound with what I'm telling you. Listen to what I'm telling you. You get where I'm coming from? That's what Paul is trying to do to him. He's trying to get him. He's like, he's like listen, Timothy, listen to what I'm telling you, brother. My, my, my credibility with you is, is solid, right? It, through the gospel and through what he's done in my, this relationship, listen to what I'm showing you as an example, right? I suffer in chains for the gospel. There's no reason for my credibility not to be there with you. And he's saying, follow this, this pattern that you see. But then he makes this statement. He says, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. When we read stuff like this right here, we can go past it really quick. But what he's doing, he's taking Timothy back to the cross. He's not making that call to follow the pattern larger than the cross. Like, hey, listen to me. He's saying, listen to me or whatever. I'm submitted to the cross 
you be submitted to the cross. Follow it in faith and love. Because nothing that you do in this book or anything that you feel God is calling you to do means anything if you don't do it through faith in Christ Jesus and do it in love, right? So when we look at the commandments and the Bible says these are the top two commandments and everything leans on them, what does it talk about? It talks about the Father, right? Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's this idea of having faith that he is true, that he's real, that he sent his son to die on the cross, and then also to stand in love. We have this example of love with the cross, right, where we have the Father coming from his throne to die for our sins for sinners. That's our example for how we love people. You, there's no way to attain to it. But when you do feel like smacking the fire out of somebody sometimes, you most definitely can dance, glance over at the cross and go, Dad, that's my father right there, and he wants me to be like him. And I'm not even suffering slightly what he's going through or what he's done. Do you get where I'm coming from? And we can look to the cross for power, so that's what he's telling them. He's saying, listen, follow the path, buddy, but don't make sure the cross is what you're in line with. Make sure that's where you're functioning out of this faith and you're out of functioning out of this love. In verse 14, he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And he's telling Timothy to hold safe what God has put in his heart, all of the good stuff, the, the power to actually declare the gospel, right? To declare the gospel without fear. Also the power to actually stand in the midst of suffering for the gospel, right? So that's what he's telling them. Um, I just want to read something to you really quick. So, I think that when, we, when, you, when you read a text like this, it's easy to Christianize it kind of in a way where, um, I don't know, we kind of go in our Christian bubble or whatever, and we think through the different concepts in it or whatever within whatever we feel our righteousness is at or whatever the case may be. Bear with me. I um, hope make this sense. Hope this make, help this make sense for you. But what I want you to actually get is this right here. So um, this is about forsaking all for Christ, and it's also about this idea of being um, convinced that the world has nothing to offer to pursue it. Like there's like what what Paul is presenting to Timothy is within the realm of neglect of self to follow Christ. And so I want to read something to you really fast that you'll be able to kind of see where this is working in the scriptures. Um, this is 1 Peter 1.13. Y'all ready? Y'all can say something. Say yeah. yeah. Say hip hop hooray. All right. Hip -hop. I'm too old or whatever. People don't even know. Not even by nature is anymore. Sarah knows. She's the only one. She's like, hip hop, hooray. All right, so anyway. All right, 1 Peter 1, 13. All right, it says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of, to the passions of your former grace. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. 
And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. I'm going to keep on reading, but one first thing he said that is said in this text, right, it says, prepare your minds for actions. And then it says, being sober-minded. And it says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? And then he starts talking about, um, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then it kind of even talks about being ransomed from the futile ways of, um, of your forefathers. And so when we're in the previous text and we're talking through Timothy, um, it's amazing, like, you know, when it starts out, if you put these verses together, because Paul starts out and he gives the props to his family members, to Lois and Eunice, I think that was her name, something. Um, but he gives them props, and he's like, man, that faith is great, but you need to do this. Um, in, in this text right here, whatever, it's kind of loosening us up from this, this, uh, it's, it's from this worldliness, and it's saying, be sober-minded. Prepare your mind for actions. So it's, there's this intentionality. Like earlier when I was saying, faith is absolutely amazing. That's it. But you actually need to know exactly what you need to have faith for. And what you're believing, right? And what the will of the Father is. And so that's what this text is starting out with. But if let me show you this really quick so you can get where I'm going. In verse 24, right? It says this. Um, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You know, when we were in Bible study the other day, we were inside of um, Ecclesiastes 1. And in that text, King Solomon is walking through, and he's kind of doing this whole um, gloomy rambling about, he's like, man, I've done it all. And it's nothingness. He's like, everything is vanity. You know what I'm saying? He's the richest man. I think, he was, I think his, his value would be like $2.2 trillion today. Is how rich he was, right? And he's built castles. He's done everything. But he comes to this conclusion. He's like, it's all vanity. And he's saying with much knowledge and much wisdom is sorrow, right? And what's amazing about this text, when it goes through this thing and it says all flesh is like grass and all, and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower fails. We kept seeing some, in, in Bible study this pattern where when you have this text, like it happens in the scripture a couple times, where you're being pushed to go towards God, they keep kind of saying the same thing right there, this poetic thing, which basically is saying everything is nothingness. Like whatever you strive after is going to fall apart. It's like a flower or whatever. It's cute for a hot minute, but it's going to wither away. You get where I'm coming from? 
And, and so the concept is this right here. It's done so when you see the scriptures, right? And it's saying, hey, walk in the power of God. Suffer for the glory of God. That you don't confuse it with suffering for building something that's carnal. Do you get what I'm, you get what I'm saying? So it's meant to keep you from turning God into some type of lucky charm on whatever your new ambitious move is, right? That doesn't mean that it's wrong for you to pray and say, hey, God, we're starting this business and Lord, I'm praying for favor. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to the scripture and you personally and where you at are at before God, that's, it, it, it keeps removing the ground from up under that. I want to show it to you in another text also. And this is James 1, right? Verse, start with verse 2. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your, your faith produces steadfastness. There's that word faith again, right? And there's the testing, right? Stepping into suffering. It produces steadfastness. It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And listen to this right here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. So we were talking about this the other day. Any of y'all ever read that scripture before? You ever read like where it says if you lack wisdom, you know what I'm saying, ask God? Y'all seen that scripture before or heard that scripture? So when I was like, you know what I'm saying, first coming to Jesus, I knew without a shadow of doubt I was a straight up fool. And so when I read that scripture, I was like, oh, jump. I can just ask. Because I was like, God, I'm stupid. I need help. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going back. To, I'm going to jail. That's, that's it. And I said, God, give me wisdom. But listen to what this says. I never understood the rest of that or whatever, right? It says, if any, man, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives gener generously to all without approach, and it will be given him. But listen to this big, big butt right here, right? says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. The concept is this right here. Based on what we saw in Ecclesiastes with Solomon. And when he's, when he's literally running after wisdom. The end of is that he comes to this place where he's like, there's much sorrow and grief with wisdom, right? And so when we ask for wisdom, like I was just saying, we usually, I know this is the way I meant it. I meant, God, give me wisdom so I can get to this money, so I can get rich and I can build my big castle or whatever I thought in my head, right? That I thought God wanted me to have, which was not true at all. But what he's, what he's saying is that when you ask God for wisdom, what you're doing is actually sparking up a war, right? Not a war against God, but this war with you in the world and carnality. Because what God is actually going to take you into is not going to be about this wisdom about how to heat more into yourself, but it's going to be about opening your eyes to see his true kingdom revealed. Are you with me? I'm going to prove it to you. Let me keep reading to you really quick. This is super important. Because it has an impact on the way you will read the scriptures for the rest of your life and what you believe, right? Verse 80 says this. 
Well, let me go back to verse, let me, I'm going to start from 6 and keep reading. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He's not being mean, right? He's not being mean. It's just simply facts. Isn't that what the kids say today? Facts. It's facts, all right? It's facts. You're double-minded. You will be screaming and kicking along this journey to receive this wisdom if you're not up for it. Can't be double-minded, right? So he says in verse 8, he says, he is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let the, that unstable, let me, I'm sorry, y'all. That unstable thing, what it looks like, is spending your time talking about how much it hurts to be inside of this thing God has called you into. Versus leaning into the power of God. It ends up producing a person who's kind of schizo in the middle of it, right? Who's kind of like, this is too much. Like, and it maybe sometimes it is too much. Sometimes you do need a break. I don't want to undermine that. But what I'm saying is, where are you at? Like, where's your treasure at? Is it in the world? Is it in your comfort? Is it in you getting more? Are you... Not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord? Are you not ashamed of the circumstances that may come from him, from you proclaiming his gospel, right? That, that's, that's, the, that's the halfway in, halfway out. That's the unstable in all his ways. That's the God is revealing himself, but God, I didn't want to see all that, right? I didn't want to see all that because that, that means that you're entrusting me with something. Do you get where I'm coming from? There's a sorrow, it's a heavy weight that comes with it. Just to know the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. It gives us joy in the midst of sorrow. It gives you the joy, but it gives you the sorrow too. Because now when you look at the world or whatever, you know what's up. And it hurts. When you pass people on the side of the road and you see the enemy and they're in the, they're in the dope fiend lean, it hurts you. Because you know what the enemy is doing. You're fully aware of the the the, the the tools and tactics of the enemy, right? So there's a responsibility that we're entrusted with that we have to continue to fan the flame because we need the power of God to keep moving through and to keep giving them glory, right? So he is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I'm going to hurry up, y'all. I'm sorry. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And it says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation." And the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of grass. Here it goes again. You see it? Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fails and its beauty perishes. So, all will, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. They do it again. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Right? This isn't necessarily talking about somebody who's just financially rich. It's for people who think they're actually got it together. Think you're rich. And like I said, when we started, we're actually all poor. There is no way that we can attain to seeing God but through, his, through humility and the power of God. Right? We can't do this by our flesh. Um, we're running long. Let me end with this right here. I'm going to read Matthew 
13, 16. Um, y'all ready? Yeah? All right. I know I'm all over the place today. This is how I roll. My head's hurting. Just put, put it all, come back and put them all together. It's good stuff in it. That's why I don't want to leave just yet. Hold on. So let me read this to you. It says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear. This is Christ talking to the disciples, right? Verse 18, he says this. This is the parable of the sower being explained. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, I'm going to end with this right here. But when I read this to you right now, I want you to figure, I want you to work through where you're at in this, okay? I want you to work through where you feel you may be. It says, hear, the, hear then the parable of the sword. When anyone hears the word of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As, what was, as, what, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when, listen to this, tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. That's my sermon. <laughs> 